My name is Rachel and I've been um, involved with the Rolling Hills Belmont Heights campus and I have been on staff with Justice and Mercy International for five years. So godly friendships has been something that has been really important to me, um, especially in the past seven or eight years that I've lived in the Nashville area. Truly godly friends are those that are willing to take you with your flaws and your shortcomings as we all have, you know, imperfections of which I have many, and say, look, I, I see those things, but I see also who you're becoming, who Christ has made you to be, and that's a journey that I want to go on with you, and I have so many friends who have made so many amazing friendships um, that are willing to do that step by step every day, and that's something that I try to do, and I've been challenged to do for myself, um, to be in it for the long haul. I think it's our tendency to look for people who are just like us, but some of my greatest gifts and um, friendships have been people who are very different from me. I think one of the most Christ-like things that um, my closest friends do for me are, are being willing to have those uh, conversations and being willing to say, hey, I know who you are and I know your character and, and to challenge me in a way that is loving and gracious, um, but that also challenges me to be more like Jesus. And those are the moments that are, are often tough, that's tough to hear, um, but those are the moments that I'm most thankful for people who are willing to speak truth, the truth of the gospel into my life. And it's really challenged me to be more like that and to, to look at the ways that my, my friends have, have molded my own character um, and how I've become more like them in that. And as they imitate Christ, as scripture says, um, we're all becoming more like Jesus himself as we kind of teach and learn from one another. You know, there are so many things in life that I'm grateful for, and Rachel hit on a few of those. I'm grateful for the relationships that I have, the people in my life that are there through the thick and the thin, the people that are there, and no matter how good the season is or how difficult the season might be. And I hope and pray that you have those people in your life as well. There's so many things, though, that I could share with you that I'm grateful for. I've been thinking this week a lot about all the blessings in my life that I'm so grateful for. And I just want to share a few of them with you this morning. In the essence of time, I can't share everything that I'm grateful for. We would be here for hours upon hours. But I'm so thankful for Jesus, and I'm thankful for what he did for me, and that he came to give me life when I least deserved it, and that he that he seeks to be our true north and seeks to be the one who gives us hope in the midst of all of our seasons. I'm thankful for my family, for my wife and my two precious uh, little kids. I'm thankful for my church family and grateful for each and every one of you and grateful that we get to be on this journey together. I'm thankful for the community of Nolansville and the surrounding areas here in Middle Tennessee and just what a great place to live and to serve and to uh, to see the church uh, come alive and, and be active in this community. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for Lazy Saturdays. I haven't had one in a long time, but I like the idea of it. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that maybe someday I'll have um, one of those. I'm grateful for coffee. Um, can I get an amen on that one? I'm grateful for college basketball and donuts and the beach. I'm grateful for hot chicken. Um, I'm grateful for those, those moments when I hear from somebody that I haven't heard from in a while. I'm grateful for a good ink pen. Um, I will search the house because I have an ink pen that I like to use, and I will pass up 10 really fine, appropriate ink pens to find the one that I'm looking for. Anybody else like that? Thank you. I, I felt weird saying that, but I was like, there has to be people in here like me that have an ink pen that you want to use. Uh, I, I'm thankful for and grateful for a good belly laugh. Um, I'm grateful for when a song comes on the radio that I haven't heard in a while, and it kind of transports me back to high school, and it just brings back like a, a, just a season of, oh yeah, that was, that was really awesome. And to be in a season where I had such little responsibility and so much fun, you know, I, I kind of crack 
crave and yearn for that some days. But this morning, I wanted us to direct our attention to something else that I'm really grateful for. And I hope and pray that you're grateful for it as well. In fact, some of us would, would self-admittedly set up, stand up and say, I'm so grateful, as Rachel mentioned, for the friendships that I have in my life, the godly people in my life that keep me on track and that help me become who it is that he has created me to be. But I also know that there are some of us that might be on the outside looking in, and we would not be able to stand and say, I'm grateful for those friendships because they're just not where they need to be. Or you've yet to find that group that spurs you on to good things, and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I wish I could say that. And this morning, whichever one of those that you would most identify with, our prayer is that through God's word and through this continuation of this series, I Am David, that you would catch a glimpse this morning of what it means to be a godly friend and to have godly relationships in your life. Now, I seriously considered having David Curtis and the band play Friends Are Friends Forever throughout the entire sermon today, just as a backdrop, um, but I decided against that. But nonetheless, there is some amazing truth. Somebody just said thank you. Uh, there is an amazing truth that we see in God's Word that I'm going to encourage us to be challenged in. And so we're going to invite him into this space this morning and into our lives to show us what it is that he desires to teach us about being a godly friend and seeking out those relationships and the power that those have in our life and the meaning that they can have. And so I'm so grateful that each and every one of you are here. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we continue into digging into God's Word this morning. Lord, thank you for each and every person who's here. I'm grateful for each and every one of your blessings. They are so um, numerous. I'm thankful for so many things this morning, and I pray that you would help us to be grateful for those relationships we have. And maybe we're here today, and the relationships that we have aren't as strong as they need to be. And I pray that you would give us a glimpse through your word about how to grow and to find and to cultivate these healthy, God-honoring relationships. And I pray that you would be the one who works on our heart and works in our minds this morning. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. I absolutely love that God's word is not silent when it comes to relationships. God's word is not silent on the issues that are the most pressing to us and are the most important to us. And the value of relationships and friendships is, of course, something that he addresses here. In fact, if you were to do a quick Google search on what does the Bible say about relationships, it's going to probably take you to the text that we're going to be studying primarily this morning, which is 1 Samuel chapter 20, because it, it, it kind of gives you this overview of this amazing relationship between David and his friend Jonathan. Now, I do hope and I do pray that each of you have good relationships in your life, but I would venture to say that some of us don't. And some of us, we want them, we're striving for them, we're yearning for them, but we just don't know those next steps that we need to take. And so our prayer is that God would show us something this morning specifically out of his word. Now, out of the gate, uh, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. If, if, if this is just kind of the moment that you're here just for this, then I want you to remember this. Please don't go out of this place today without the truth kind of ingrained in your mind that we need each other, okay? We need each other. It's the simplest way that I could intro and sum up what we're going to be talking about today. We need each other. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look to the person beside you, either side, and I want you to say, I need you. Okay, some of you do not know the person beside you, and you made a really quick friend. Um, now I want you to look to the other side, and I want you to say, you need me. <laughs> this is an all skate. Everybody has to participate. Um, this is by God's design that we needed each other. 
In fact, this was God's design. This isn't some just little pithy statement that is on your, you know, grandmother's cross stitch. This is actually from God's word that we needed each other. We are designed by God to be in relationship with one another. We are designed by God. From the beginning of time, I even should say since before the beginning of time, God had this beautiful design that we would need each other and that we would be in relationship with one another. Jesus' model of ministry was not based on solo gigs. It was based on us going out together. He sent the disciples out two by two. In fact, he commissioned us as the church to carry the message of the gospel to all the known and unknown parts of the world. He did not give that message to just one person. He gave that to an entire, you know, community, a community that has now, you know, spread throughout the past couple thousand years to where now we're sitting here, continuing that mission and continuing to seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus' teachings centered around the two most important things. You guys remember this? When the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, came to him and said, what are the most important commandments? And he said, first and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So see, there was a there was a, a sense of needing one another and loving one another and caring for one another that is so crucial to the scripture from start to finish. The book of Proverbs, which is one of my favorite books, has some amazing things to say about the need that we have for one another. Specifically in Proverbs 17, 17, it says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Here in our kids' ministry, we sing this song called A Friend Loves at All Times. My daughter sings it all the time. And a couple weeks ago, as I was preparing, I realized, wow, that song is actually rooted right here in Scripture, that a friend loves at all times. Jesus is a friend of mine. So it says, a friend loves at all times. And what is that friend there for? A brother is born for a time of adversity. Anybody had any adversity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little bit? You know, just, just you, some of you guys are like, not today. I mean, we've, it's, it's only like six hours into the day, so I haven't had time to hit major adversity yet today. But according to Scripture, a brother is born for a time of adversity. So there are people that we invite into our lives and people's lives that we step into, that we are there so that when they go through adversity, we can help hold them up and we can help them take the next steps that they need to take. Those friends love at all times. And so if you desire to be a friend that loves at all times, when the going gets rough, what do you do? You stay in it. You don't tap out and you don't leave when things get challenging, but you stay in the midst of these relationships. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That your life is making my life better. That your life can help polish down some of the rough edges of my life, that my life can help sharpen some of the areas that you might need to be improved in. So see, this is God's design, and God has given us this, and I sincerely believe that most of us want to grow in this area. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I wish I had fewer friends. It's just not what people say. You know, I, I wish I had fewer friends. You know what? I wish I didn't have as many people that cared about me. I wish I just had, like, people that really hated me, more and more of those people in my life. Because, you know, I'm just, all, I'm just so over all these awesome people wanting to make my life better. I wish they would just find somebody else to go and direct their attention to. It, it's not how we operate. In fact, the inverse is true. And I, I've heard this said about the generation that we're in right now and the generation that's coming up behind us, is that we actually, though, in all honesty, right now, we tend to be a generation that is simultaneously the most connected, but also the loneliest. 
Have you noticed that, how sometimes you're surrounded by people all the time, but there's not life-giving relationships in your life? You're surrounded by people, but you don't have that, that, that deep sense of, I know that there's people here that I can depend upon. And 1 Samuel 20 gives us this beautiful picture of how we are um, to live and, and the, the relationships that we seek to have. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1 is where I want to start today. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. Now, a little bit of backstory on this. Some of you have been a part of this series, you know, that we started in the early part of the summer, and some of you are with us for the first time today. So just to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page, what has happened to get us to this point is Saul has been anointed the king. And yet the anointing of the Lord has left him, and he's now operating from a very evil place. And so a new king has been appointed, David. And David is a young, valiant warrior. He has not stepped onto the throne yet because Saul is still alive. Now, Saul's son, amen, remember Saul is bad, so just say Saul is bad. Okay, so if you look here, if you look at the scriptures, like Saul, he's the bad guy in the story, okay? The, the spirit of the Lord has left him. The anointing of the Lord has left him. His son is Jonathan, and Jonathan's best friend is David, the one who is getting ready to come onto the throne. And so David is fleeing. It says here in verse 1 of chapter 20 that David is fleeing. Why is he fleeing? You might remember this from last week. Remember he was sitting in the corner playing the harp for Saul, and Saul was kind of a madman. He is very much a madman, so he picked up a spear and threw it at David to try to pin him to the wall. So he's clearly wanting David to not be on the throne. And so Saul is, is, is leading in a very poor place right now, from a very poor place, and Jonathan is seeking to follow the Lord. And David, when he is in need, he turns to his friend, Jonathan. Now, a side note here for you. When you are afraid or when you are in need, who do you turn to? Do you turn to the things of this world or do you turn to people that will give you godly counsel? Because that's what David did. When he was in need, he fled and he went to find Jonathan because he knew that Jonathan could be trusted. And so David tells Jonathan, surely, man, I'm about to die. And Jonathan says, no, you're not about to die. And David, I can, I'm adding some creative liberties here. But David says, no, I'm about to die. A, a spear was hurled at me. You know, I was playing a harp, and there was a spear that was hurled at me. So trust me, like your dad does not have good intentions towards me. And Jonathan says, well, then let's, you know, let's figure this out. I, I, maybe something's being hidden from me. I, I don't know. But let, let's figure this out. And Jonathan says to David in chapter 4, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So we're going to get to the bottom of this. We don't want you to die, David. So let's see if we can figure out a solution. So whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. You have found a good friend when you bring to them a problem and their response is, what can I do to help? You have found a great friend when you bring something to them and they say, what can I do for you? What do we need to do? Whatever you want me to do, I am going to do that for you. Because often what will happen is we have friends, and sometimes I'm going to even say, put that in air quotes, we have friends that will sit on the sidelines and wish good things for us, right? 
and hope that good things happen to us. But when we bring something to them, sometimes we look around and we see, well, the crowd just got smaller. The crowd got significantly smaller in terms of who was actually here, ready and able and willing to help. What Jonathan does here is he, he embodies this quality that we don't often like to think about when it comes to friendship, but it's this amazing thing that, 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 that needs to happen and that tends to happen in the healthiest God-honoring relationships, and that there's a sense of risk that you have to be willing to take to make that relationship work. In fact, the question at hand for you, and if you like to fill in the blanks, I give you some notes that you can fill in. When's the last time you asked yourself this question, what role does risk play in a healthy God-honoring relationship? What role does risk play in a healthy God-honoring relationship? Now, some of your minds went to the wrong place when you heard the word risk, and you thought, you know, am I supposed to be calculating all the risk, and if the risks are greater than what might actually happen, I probably need to stay at arm's distance. That's not what I'm talking about at all with risk. What I'm talking about is this quality of being willing and able to stand in the gap for someone else. And if you are a type of person who's willing to stand in the gap for someone else, that's a risky endeavor. It's a really risky behavior. It's very risky to say, you know what, I'm going to be there for you no matter what. And I'm going to be there for you through thick and through thin. It's actually very risky to tell someone the truth. It's not popular at all these days, is it, to speak truth into people's life. When you see someone going down the wrong path, we, we sometimes don't know how to, to handle that. But it takes a level of risk to stand in the gap for them and say, God has something better for you. God has a better plan for your life. In fact, to inspire people to follow God and to inspire people to trust God more than they trust themselves, that's risky. Why? Why is that risky? Because the world looks at that as ludicrous. The world will look at you as, you must, you know, have, uh, you must truly have lost your mind if you want me to believe in something that I can't see. And you want, me to be, you want me to draw my strength and my energy from something that I can't see right now. And so for you to push people and to push your friends in that direction, you got to be willing to take some risk. And you got to be willing to, to lean in, even if it might make you somewhat uh, challenged or even uncomfortable, dare I say. But see, Jonathan evidently is calculating the risks here because he, he decides that he's going to get involved and not just sit on the sidelines, but he's going to get involved. And so what he and David do is they conjure up this plan and they're going to figure out this. This is the plan that we're going to see. Let's, let's play this plan out to see what, what happens and to see where your dad really is. So in verse five, so David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. And if your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? They conjure up this plan. And they say, we're going to show kindness to one another. This is the plan. I, I'm going to go, I, you know, and you need to tell your dad that I'm going to go to Bethlehem to be with a family gathering. And if he gets really upset with that, then we will know what his intentions really are. 
And so Jonathan and David conjure up this plan. And did you notice at the end in verse 8 when David actually looks at Jonathan and says, hey, we're in this covenant together. We're in a covenant relationship right now. We are growing in this friendship. And in fact, if you want to kill me, if that is the plan for me to die, then please just go ahead and do it right now. If there is a bounty on my hand and you're ready to cash in, then please go ahead and do it. And in essence, Jonathan and David, that was not Jonathan's intent because they have formed what Scripture refers to as a covenant. In essence, what Jonathan and David are saying is, I trust you, and I'm trusting you with my life, and I'm trusting that you're going to always have my best interest. Now, covenant is a word that we don't often think about in terms of relationships. We don't think about it in terms of friendships. You know, we hear the word covenant, and we think about God making a covenant with his people, or we think about a covenant that you would make in terms of marriage, but it usually stops right there. And we don't think about a covenant that we have with a friendship, because if you make a covenant with someone, it should be hard to get out of that, right? A covenant should be something that's hard to get out of. And this is the type of friendship that, this is the type of relationship that, that's marked by godly friendships, is that they should be hard to leave. And they should not be something that you would just kind of decide that you don't need anymore if for some reason it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. See, I call this mutual submission and mutual accountability. That healthy relationships have a, a mutual sense of submission to one another and a mutual sense of accountability to one another. And it's what David and Jonathan are forming here. It's this idea that I'm going to submit myself to you and I'm going to trust you. And I know that you're going to hold me accountable. And in turn, I'm going to do the same thing for you. That I'm going to submit to not always getting my way, that I'm going to submit to helping you wherever it is that you might be struggling, and I'm going to be accountable to you. And this is hard for some of us to fathom, and, it, and it's extremely hard work, but friends, I want you to know that the benefits of mutual submission, if you fill in the notes here, the benefits of mutual submission and accountability, they far outweigh the effort that you have to put forth to make relationships work. The benefits of mutual submission and accountability, they far outweigh the effort that you have to put forth to make relationship works. Put in a more simple way, the rewards make the work worth it. The rewards of godly friendships, they make the work worth it. And I'm just going to tell you, because I love you, <laughs> and I'm going to speak the truth to you this morning, you will have to put forth some effort to make godly relationships work. You will. It, you will, you show me someone that has godly friendships and godly relationships, and you are showing me someone that has done some hard work and that has been willing to put forth um, effort to hold one another accountable and to be submissive to one another. Have you noticed in life that it actually takes a lot of work to do what I say I'm going to do? That, that it actually takes a lot of work to just follow through with what I say I'm going to do. And if I'm not willing to put forth the effort, and if I'm not willing to be accountable to anyone else, or if I'm not willing to, to not always get my way, or if I'm not willing to actually follow through with my friends on, on what I say I'm, I'm going to do, then over time what might happen is my friendships might start eroding. But when you realize that you have a person in your life that you can actually trust, and that is actually going to hold you accountable, and that actually wants God's best for you, 
and they seek to bring God's best into your life, friends, I want you to know that's a gift. It's a gift, and these are not gifts that you find easily, and it's also not a gift that is going to come without some work. It's going to take tremendous effort, and I hope that this is something that you think is worthwhile. I hope that it's something that you would say, you know, that, what, that's worthwhile in my life, but what do we tend to seek after? This is, this is what I think we tend to seek after, or maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one this morning that, that can relate to this, because I know that I've certainly had seasons in my life when this has been true. What we tend to seek after, though, or what we yearn after, I should say, is we yearn for godly friendships and godly relationships without the time and the necessary investment needed to make them happen. That ever happened to anybody? You want the benefits, but you don't want to do any of the work <laughs> to make it happen. I want all the benefits of godly relationships, but I don't really want to change my circle. Well, godly relationships and sometimes the circle that I'm in are not necessarily running on the same tracks. Not saying that you have to, like, quit your job. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to become, you know, a hermit and just sit in silence all day and wait for God's people to come to see you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you have to be able to know that there are parts of my life if there are parts of my life, I should say, that I've not surrendered to him, that I'm still trying to hold on to over here, then it's, then it's a weight that potentially might drag me down to prevent me from experiencing what it is that he really desires. So if I'm yearning for these, but I want them to come easy without any time and without any investment, then I'm probably going to be sorely disappointed. And, and, I, and I'm going to have to realize how to reorient some things in my life. So let's see what happens here. Back to verse 9. So David says to Jonathan, you know, if, if, if I'm guilty, just go ahead and, and kill me now. And Jonathan says, never. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? And David said, well, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went out there together. And then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. And if he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off everyone from David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Notice now Jonathan's on, Jonathan's on the speaking end, where he's actually, Jonathan has realized at this moment in time that once David is on the throne, I could actually be an enemy to David. And he's saying, please remember me when you're on the throne there's mutual submission, there's mutual accountability, and there's, there's a desire for them to grow with one another. And so when we yearn for these godly friendships and these godly relationships, then we've got to also trust that it's going to take some time, and we're going to have to make those necessary investments. It's possible, not always, but it's, it's possible that if you're looking in the mirror and, and, and you don't have the godly relationships that you want in your life right now, if, if you're saying, I'm yearning for this, what we're talking about today, I'm yearning for this type of Jonathan-David relationship, I'm yearning for that iron sharpens iron relationship that you referenced in Proverbs, I'm yearning to be more like Jesus, to, to see the value of people as one of the most important things in my life. It's possible that if we have room to grow in those areas, that 
there might still be some work that we need to do. There might be some, some effort that we need to put forth. Because what happens in life, have you noticed this? That it's pretty much human nature for us to want all of the great rewards with doing the least amount of things to make it happen. Right? I mean, that's just, this is a business model. This is a very, this is a very successful business model these days and age. And you see it in a lot of places, but you especially see it in the health and wellness industry. Now, I'm just going to say, don't email me later. I'm not naming names of companies or pyramid schemes, okay? So I'm not saying those. Don't email me later. I'm just telling you that you guys have seen this. Millions of dollars change hands every day between businesses and customers where companies are making really audacious health promises and really audacious weight loss goals. And I'm not saying that these products don't work, okay? Again, don't email me. I'm not saying that these products, email me about anything else but this, okay? I'm not saying that these products don't work, but what these businesses are doing is they're operating under a principle of let's figure out the easiest way to force you to change the smallest amount of your habits to lose the maximum amount of weight. It is, how can I do the least amount to experience the greatest reward? A lot of these products probably work. But at a base level, what does everyone know? That there are a couple ways that you can get healthier. One, eat less sugar, right? Two, stop eating processed foods. And three, don't sit on the couch as much as I currently like to do, right? Now, that costs you nothing because it's human nature for us to know that, but we like to look for a plan that doesn't require that much of us to do it. If we're not careful, though, what I've seen and what I've experienced in my own life is that I have allowed that line of thinking sometimes to bleed over into how I form relationships to where I think and I know and I yearn for healthy, God-honoring relationships, but I don't necessarily want to do what it takes to make them happen and to put the time and to put the energy. I, I want deep, intimate relationships, but I want them to come on my terms. And I want them to come overnight. And I want them to come in my complete level of comfort. And, and I don't want too much to be asked of me. When in reality, that line of thinking does fly in the face of what Jonathan and David had created. In fact, it flies in the face of what Jesus desires for our lives. Because in our relationships, the godly friendships that we seek to form, there is no place for self-seeking attitudes or actions in godly friendships. There's really no place for self-seeking attitudes or actions in godly friendships. Healthy relationships are never one-sided. They really aren't. This has maybe happened to you before, um, where you have a relationship that you would just kind of consider a one-sided relationship. And it's a relationship where maybe you do a lot of listening and not so much talking. Anybody ever had those relationships? Again, please don't raise your hand or please don't elbow the person beside you if it's them. Have you ever had a relationship with someone where you're thinking to yourself, you know, like I've known you for like 12 years and you've never asked me a question. <laughs> never happened? You're like, I mean, we've had like countless hours of conversation and you've never asked me anything. Like you've never you've never put forth any effort to, to make this reciprocal. You've never put forth any effort to, to, to share a little bit, uh, you know, about you or to let me share a little bit about me. Those relationships 
tend to, over time, diminish. And they tend to weaken and instead of giving you life, sometimes they kind of drain you. And they, they drain the life out of you. And David and Jonathan, they had, they, they had figured out this way to have a relationship that wasn't one-sided, but that had an overall sense of kind of mutual submission and accountability to it. If you continue on in verses 18 through 33, specifically in verse 32, uh, what Jonathan does here uh, down in chapter 20, verse 32, uh, he says to his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. And went upon asking this question in verse 33, Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. You think? Finally. Jonathan has figured it out. He's like, oh, you want him to survive? You want him to be successful? Well, let's put you out too. Let's go ahead and send you out with him and so that I can get rid of both of you. And at this point, if I'm Jonathan, I'm thinking to myself, this might be too much. This might just be too much for me, but not Jonathan. See, in relationships that are mutually submissive in relationships that have a great level of accountability, we don't make it about us. And we don't say, you know, peace out when things get a little tough. Jonathan valued David, and he valued David even at his own expense. And that's the type of friendship that we strive for. Now, I'm not telling you that you should be the type of friend that gets taken advantage of. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you become a doormat for everyone else, because that's not what, that's not the, the point of Jonathan and David, because when you're mutually submissive and you're mutually accountable, accountable to someone, nobody becomes a doormat for anybody, but everybody's building each other up, and they're pointing you on to good things, and they're bringing out the best in you. But there has to be a sense of, no matter what this might cost me, I'm going to continue to invest and to seek for these godly relationships. I referenced this a a little bit ago, but it's not even David and Jonathan that gave us the clearest picture of this. In fact, it was Jesus that gave us the clearest picture of this. Jesus gave us such a clear picture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, where he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. What did Jesus do? He made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He left the throne room of heaven and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as he's sitting on the cross, hanging on the cross, he's looking at the very people that put him to death and those were the ones that he died for. And so there was a deep sense of commitment to God and everyone else in the life and the actions of Jesus. And what does it say right out of the gate at the beginning of verse 5? That in your relationships have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So the relationships that we have are to have that same mindset where I desire to bring out the best in someone else, but I also desire to walk with them no matter what's being asked of me. And that I desire to journey with them no matter how difficult it may be. And ultimately, if you hit fast forward on this story, you get to the end of the story where David and Jonathan conjure up this plan and they realize that Saul's intentions really are to stop David from walking on the earth. It's to stop the plan. And so that moves Jonathan and that moves David to a point to where they get to verse 42 
where Jonathan says to him, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. See, committed relationships are not always convenient, are they? Committed, life-giving, godly relationships, they're not always convenient. You have to be known and you have to know. You have to be the type of friend that you desire to be and you can't make it all about you and you can't expect these things to necessarily be on a fast track. It's not going to be easy. But why is all this important? Why would we take a week out of our summer series and focus specifically on relationships and God's word concerning friendship? We, we spend our time on this because it's God's design. This is actually how God intended for your life to look like. This is what he wanted for you. And we need it, and hopefully we want it. And as a result of that, my prayer is that we would do the hard work to make it happen. Do the hard work to make it happen. Now this morning, for some of us, our natural takeaway step is going to be to thank God for those people in our life that already fill this void for us. Hopefully, you have those people already, those people that you know are there. And if they are there, I pray that you thank God for them today. Send them a text today. Give them a call today and say, thank you for being a person who stands in the gap for me. Or maybe our response is that we just need to do better. <laughs> we need to work harder. There's some takeaway points that have naturally come to our minds this morning, and so I pray that we would work harder. Or perhaps it's a, a takeaway point that I need to live a little bit more like Jesus, that I need to be more sacrificial with my time and more sacrificial and more giving with what I choose to do and how I choose to see my relationships. And whatever that response is this morning, I pray that you'd have the courage to take that next step. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want to pray for you that the Lord would make that step so clear and that you would be able to walk in obedience and rich and full life and abundance based on the relationships that he seeks for you to have with others. So, Lord, thank you that this is your design. Thank you that you've given us such a clear picture in your word of what it means to be accountable and submissive to one another. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that we could have life, and you tell us to go and do likewise, and then in our relationships that we would have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So I pray that that would be our heart's desire and that that would be on the forefront of our minds as we seek to have God-honoring relationships. We're so thankful for who you are, and we're grateful again, Lord, for all of your blessings. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he called his friends together. He called his disciples together, and he did something that was so beautiful and so moving and, and so meaningful and so worshipful. And so this morning, we want to continue in this amazing act of worship called communion. Jesus set forth this beautiful precedent to where he knew that the, the work that was ahead was going to be hard. And he had called this group to not go alone, but he had called them to go together. And he said, I want you to draw your strength from me. And I want you to draw your life from me. And so when he broke the bread, he said, this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. And then he poured from a cup and he says, this represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we want to do that in remembrance of him. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to be reminded that he's with you and that he's for you and that he's given you the strength that you need to continue on. 
there's two areas that are set up here, um, over here to my right and in the back of the room, uh, where you can go and there's, some of our leaders are holding a plate and there's little pieces of bread on the plate and they're holding a cup and simply take a piece of that bread and you can dip it in the cup and then to take and remember the sacrifice that was made for you. This again is not an invitation from me. This is not an invitation from Rolling Hills Community Church. This is an invitation from Jesus himself. And what he tells us in scripture is that the only prerequisite is to know him and to have a relationship with him. And so if that's your story this morning and you want to come and partake in these tables as our band sings and leads us in a continued time of worship, won't you make your way around this room and remember the sacrifice that was made so that you could have life? Won't you come?